Happy Monday, everybody. I want to start by apologizing for the sound quality on this. Um, I could have sworn I brought home one of my mics because I'm in Minnesota right now. But I'm now realizing that I think I left it in Utah. So we are going full on AirPod mode for the intro. So I'll keep it short because I know this is not great quality. Um, And then we'll get into the episode, which has perfect quality. So you don't need to worry about it. But I'm so excited about today's episode. I'm exhausted. I am sick. So I'm laying in bed. Um, I have a sore throat. I haven't been sick in so long. So I'm just the type of person, and I don't know if you're all like this too, where when I get sick, I feel like I want to take on the world, but I can't because I'm too tired and I'm actually sick. So I need to rest. But those are the moments where I like, feel most inspired because it's almost like this... <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but it's almost just that I can't do it. So I want to do it. It's like, you always want what you can't have. Um, So that's how I'm feeling today. And I hope you're feeling good. If you're new here, welcome. I'm Paige Boner. I'm the host of the It's Hard podcast, which you're listening to right now. The name is totally intentional. My name is actually Boner. It's hard as a play on words. Thanks for being here. We are a mental health podcast and community focused on allowing you to learn, grow, and feel less alone in what you're going through. So I'm so happy you're here. If you're here from Reed's community, welcome, welcome, welcome. Reed is somebody I was so excited to have on the show, and he is just the best. Um, After this conversation, I feel like we just clicked so well and became good friends, and I love following him on social, and his uh, podcast as well is called Recess, and it's like these bite-sized 15-minute mental health episodes, so if you're looking for kind of the opposite of what we do here with these long episodes. If you're looking for something a little bit more bite-sized and just to be able to like wake up in the morning and just get a little, you know, inspiration or a little bit information on mental health. Uh, he is totally your guy. So today's guest is Reed Burbeck and I found him through social media. Um, he is a mental health advocate. He's a writer, entertainer, is a podcast host, and his social media is so fun to follow. Right now, he's traveling across the country, and it's so cool to just see all the adventures that he's going on, and we talk about this in the episode as well. What inspired that, and how do you do that just to go and totally travel across the country? I mean, it's a brave thing to do, and and it can feel lonely at times. Um, Reed also struggles with ADHD. And so he talks about that, I think a little bit in this episode, but also a lot on his uh, Instagram page as well. He just has like these funny reels and these great posts, these long captions. So I love being a part of his community. And I think you would really like it too. His Instagram is literally just Reed Bervik. So R-E-I-D-B-E-R-V-I-K. And then his insta or his uh, podcast is called Recess Podcast. So R E C E S S. And you can listen to that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you're here for Reed's community, welcome. Thank you so much. We have very similar um, views on mental health, very much in the advocacy space. And it's so great to just hear from his perspective uh, what mental health looks like for him because it's so different. And also, you know, as somebody who presents as male and identifies as male, it's really interesting to hear it from his perspective as well. Um, we have a lot of women on this show, but this show is also for men as well, and people who are non-binary, who don't identify, um, and all sexualities. So to hear from, from Reed, who is a, a male presenting and identifies as male, is really interesting. So 
I'm keeping this one short. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go follow Reed on Instagram. Go listen to his ep- or his podcast, Recess. And I just hope that you like this one. So thanks so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing really well. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to have you. How is your uh, traveling adventure going? You know, it's good. I'm in, I've been in Maine for, it'll be about a month and maybe a month and a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I leave in two, in a week and a half, maybe, but Maine's mm-hmm. super cool. I've never been before. So really? yeah. Admit, where cool. are you going next? Um, going to go do Vermont for a couple of days. I'm going to do like the Cape, Cape Cod for a couple of days. And then I'm going to do uh, New York city for all of October. I'm going to do a whole month there. Which would be so, cool. That'll yeah. be amazing. Are you going to stay like right in New York or what are you thinking? Um, what do I want to do? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm looking at places in Manhattan. I, uh, I, I kind of want to just like go, like go a little hard, like with where I stay, like maybe spend a little more money than I typically would mm-hmm. because like, I don't, I don't want to go share a two bedroom apartment with a stranger for a month. Like, right. <laughs> it sound that fun. Exactly. I might. <laughs> I might end up uh, going into some debt, but you know what? You're only, you're only traveling. I'm only traveling once. So like, I might as well do something fun. Right. Are you traveling this whole year or what's that look like? Yeah, I'm going to do it for the whole year. I'm going to do East coast. I'm working my way South and then I'm going to work my way, my way across and then um, West coast do that in the spring. That's so cool. What inspired you? Really cool. You know what? I think it was one of those situations where I just needed to get out of my normal routine, get out of my little bubble and do something different for myself and put some miles on my soul. Just kind of see the country a little bit, see what else is out there. I mean, I I live in Colorado my whole life outside of a couple of students here and there, but it was just time, you know, it was just time. Yeah. That's so cool. I feel like I'm such a routine person too, where I just get so stuck in like the cycle that I always, I end up craving that, right? Like craving to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's so healthy for us to just like mm-hmm. break those cycles that we get so used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I'm excited to have you here um, just to chat with you today. And honestly, kind of like we were talking about hoping to just have like an honest and raw conversation about mental health. Um, We're both in that like mental health advocacy space and you have your own podcast recess, which is so cool. Um, And for those listening, of course, I'll share more about that, but just little like 15, 30 minute stints about mental health, which I think is so cool and important and attainable. Um, And so I'm excited to just kind of chat with you about mental health. I get so nerdy about this topic. So I think that there's so much that we can unpack. Um, so I'm just really excited. So thanks for being here, Reed. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I would love to start just with your own personal mental health journey and what that has looked like for you. Um, you know, whenever it is that you discovered more about your mental health and and just in general, what that process and journey has looked like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I uh I depression is a big part of my story, like around 13, middle school. Everybody has a terrible middle school experience. And if they don't, like, I don't trust you. Like, I don't trust what they got going on in their life. Um, 
But yeah, so from 13 to 23, depression, seasonal depression, seasons of depression, just unchecked, never mitigated, never like mental health was not in my vocabulary. I never heard of it before. I never heard of it until 22, 23. Um, somebody suggested, hey, man, you've been struggling for a long time. You should maybe go check therapy. And at that point, I was at just such a wit's end. I was like, yeah, yeah. Any, anything anybody would have told me to do, I would have tried. Luckily, it was therapy and not something weird and strange. Um, but I went to therapy and quickly realized like, oh, this thing that I've been feeling for years and years and years is like a real thing. Like this is a science. This is like a thing that's real, scientific, metal, whatever you want to call it. Like it exists. And that was really helpful for me to know that number one, I'm not alone in this struggle. Number two, there's actually a name for it. I had a therapist uh, diagnose me with major depressive disorder. And I was like, oh shit, this is, oh, uh, there was, it was a big relief to me in a sense. Cause I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm not crazy. Cause I think that's what a lot of us think before we start to look at mental health for ourselves is I'm, I must just be crazy because this shit's going on. There's a lot of shame there. So I started to go to therapy and I started to look at my life and the things that affected me. Um, and you know what, to be honest at that time, I, le- I, was, I grew up really religious and I had left church right around that time. And I realized that the version of church that I did wasn't actually good for my mental health. There's this phrase called spiritual bypassing where people kind of repress hard feelings and use spiritual language. And it doesn't matter what religious context you're in or what your faith is, like just the principle of using your spirituality to repress things. So it's like, I'm really, really struggling. Oh, but God's got it. Or or, yeah, the universe is on my side. Everything's going to work out. It's like, no, I'm not actually dealing with that stuff that's deep down. And so leaving church and kind of diving into mental health and realizing, oh, I got so much going on here. I got to figure some stuff out. I've been hurting for a long time. I never told anybody about it. Um, it was life-changing, changed the trajectory of my life. Mm, yes. And so when it came to, you know, discovering more about your depression and, and kind of better understanding that, I think a lot of people hear the word depression or maybe have depression and even just, you know, mental illness and all these things that come up, but they don't really fully, you know, understand like, what could that mean? And what could that feel like? And I know it's different for everybody, but as you were going through that process, like really, what did you uncover and what really came up for you through that? Yeah. I mean, everything, I mean, everything. I mean, I, you know, cause I did the whole therapy thing for a little bit before, and then I went to school to be like, originally I'm not a therapist now, but I went to school. I got the therapy degree. And so in my own self journey a lot, and then within that dynamic where I really, really understood things on a clinical level, on a treatment level, um, you know, I think some of the big things that, that I learned and that I uncovered was systems are really what affect us. The systems of our life are so big. So our family of origin, you know, it's the classic trope, like, oh, what's your family of origin? What's, what, what happened there? I mean, it's a trope, but it's so true. Like the relationships that we have with our family, our primary caregivers, they affect our attachment styles, which affect how we relate in our adult relationships. And so what needs were fulfilled or unfulfilled affects how we go about trying to get our needs and trying to connect in the future. So I think, I mean, attachment styles was really big for me. 
systems, uh, whether it be family, work, uh, systems such as capitalism, uh, these big systems that impact us in negative ways or, or positive ways if you have a good and healthy family. So those were really, really big for me. Um, and I think one of the things that was really helpful overall early on was this idea of ownership this idea that like I have ownership of my life and my decisions for me in my um, states of depression and the way that my psychology built out from emotional neglect growing up. And I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, but the Enneagram is really something that's been valuable for me. I'm a four. And so we are big kind of like victimhood people. We see ourselves on the victim. And so we want this big Heal, we have these healing fantasies of who's going to come and rescue us and fulfill the things that we never got when we were younger. And it can be really, really damaging for self and for other people because we put undue expectations on others. And so I think that this big like victim thing is something I struggle with even still to this day, especially early on, but this idea that I have ownership and that no one's going to come rescue me in the sense that I needed when I was seven, eight, 15 years old but I have ownership to fight for healthy relationships and fight for healthy views of myself. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I gained so much mental health knowledge in school. That's just been clutch at the same time. I know I'm jealous. I'm like, I always wish I'm like, <laughs> cool for that. So fascinating. I know. Um, what is emotional neglect? Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So emotional neglect, right. So a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's very easy to understand abuse, right? Like, physical abuse or sexual abuse. These are really, really hard things. And they're easy to understand because we can see them and they're very, very clear. They're not always clear in certain ways, but they're clearer. Um, we know about physical, physical neglect as well. So not getting food, not getting um, basic needs met. Emotional neglect is this reality in the system where the emotional needs and our emotional affective self didn't get met. Our emotions weren't, um, poured into or weren't seen. So every kid, when we're young, we need something called attunement from our parents or our caregivers. And attunement is this principle where a caregiver can see our, our emotional state or our physical state, and they know how to meet us. So if I'm struggling, I come home from third grade and I'm like slouching and I'm down. Attunement is a parent knowing they really need me to step in here. I mean, when we're young, attunement could be we're being picked up when we need to be picked up or if we're being held and we don't want to be held, a parent can attune to us and put us down. And so when we don't have that over a long period of time, even if food is on the table, even if physical support is there, our parents show up to our events. If they're not attuning to us, if they're not engaging us emotionally, if they're not allowing our emotions to be held in space, it can contribute to emotional neglect. So I like to view kind of in a visual sense, the emotional part of us as this garden of this garden internally. And we have all of these plants and everything being born. If they're never tended to, it could even, it can go off the rails. It's not kept or it can be barren. And that's when people numb and that's when people totally detach from everything. And so that's, I think that's how I would describe a very reader's digest, I suppose, version. <laughs> I love it. And and you're so right about what you said about the types of neglect and abuse that you can see. And I think people who experience, I've experienced emotional abuse, um, verbal abuse, you know, whatever it is, manipulation, these types of things that 
you can't see on the outside. And so not only do you fear that maybe it's hard for others to believe that you went through it, but sometimes it's hard for you to believe that you also went through it too, because you can't see those physical um, implications or, you know, experiences on the outside of your body. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's hundred percent true. I mean, any, whether when something has the potential to become invisible, that's when it gets really, really challenging. If I can't directly see something, I mean, we are such in the West anyways, in the American West, we are such a tangible society in certain ways. Like, I mean, you just look at the whole Me Too movement. You look at the structure set up to believe women with assault and stuff like that. And people just don't do it. Mm-hmm. People just like, ah, no, no way. That guy's a good guy. Cause they don't see it. They don't believe it. And so we just have systems set up where people just aren't believed. I mean, you look at it in a race category, people are, are been clamoring for these systems of oppression that have existed since America's conception. And it's like, I mean, you have physical evidence and it's not believed and, why would somebody believe the invisible? And so something like emotional neglect, um, because it's invisible, it makes it so difficult. And the way it works psychologically is a lot of times we think it's our fault. We think we are the ones who aren't good enough, or we are the ones who don't matter, or we are the ones that make it so, so nobody wants to tend to us. And Mm -hmm. so shame comes in and then shame is amplified by silence and by repression. And then it becomes cycle and it becomes just this huge huge thing Um, I heard a speaker who was a therapist for like 30 years share that within a trauma context um, trauma that is never shared trauma that is never held trauma that is kept inside can be so detrimental and make it so much worse and I think it's true. I, I'm a big, I, I base a lot of my mental health stuff on like our stories. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has a story and everybody has this life experience. And when we're not able to share our story and experience validation of our story and have it be heard, man, it hurts our soul. It hurts our soul. It really does. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there. I think that genuinely don't believe they have a story. I think there's this idea that our stories have to be this, this big deal or this, you know, whatever it is, maybe a success story. Like we have this idea in our heads of like what a story is. How have you found, or, or is there a way to encourage people to share their stories or how, because I feel like people might hear that, like, yeah, we need to share our stories, but it's like, how the F do we do that? Like, what the fuck do we do? You know? Um, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think, I think it's true in a lot of ways. I mean, I never really thought I had a story. I mean, I grew up on a cul-de-sac for God's sake. Like what interesting happens on a (laughs) cul-de-sac? I think that people don't believe they have a story because they've never been validated in normal ways throughout their life. Um, And because a lot of the stories that we see maybe through movies and TV are these huge emotional swelling pictures and and tales. And you know what, my specific story on a surface level might not be as interesting to watch via a movie as somebody who grew up homeless, who almost died and had to fight a bear and then made their way to own a company, like on a surface level. And 
comparing our stories to other people, comparing our lives to other people, comparing even our traumas to other people is detrimental to our health. So like I heard somebody once say, whether you need something amputated or you sprained your wrist in a bike accident, both wounds need tending to. Mm. So to a certain regard, like how much does it really matter whose wound is worse? I think it's the same way as story. How much does it really matter that somebody's story is better? I don't even know what that means. That doesn't mean anything. How, how much does it matter that one person's story might sell a bestseller versus a, it doesn't matter. We all have experiences. We all have characters in our life who either helped us or hurt us. We all have an arc of ourselves. That's enough. It's enough. It really, really is. And so I think for people to start to unpack their story, they have to understand how the things of their past has affected their present, mm. how the people in their lives have influenced them, um, how their culture has maybe dictated some things for them. Um, so I think the awareness of, oh man, maybe, I, maybe there is something here to me. And I think I always just like to ask with like, what if, what if questions I think are very, very gentle and very curiosity invoking, like people will hear like, oh, you have a story. Maybe they need to start with, man, what if I did have a story? What if I did have experiences that were worthy to share? It can be a very gentle way of starting to engage our curious self. Mm. Well, and just the truth of if you're, you know, if you've lived, you've had experiences, you know, like if you're living right now, you didn't just appear here on the screen read and, and just this is you, you know, like yeah. there are things that have happened to you. And I love like, you know, Oprah and uh, Dr. Perry. I don't know if you've read that book um, about trauma, but it's what happened to you. So instead of saying like, what's wrong with you, it's, it's the truth of what happened to you. So we all have had things happen to us. Of course, we are still, you know, the dictator of our lives and we have the ability to have the mindset and the control in that aspect. But there are some things like you were saying with the emotional neglect, the abuse, all these things, that's not your fault. Like that is not your fault. You did not deserve that. And those are things that happen to you. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, there's so much that's outside of our control in this life. We have ownership of self and our internal lives as we grow into adults, especially as our brain fully develops, but our brain isn't fully developed toward, I think in women 23 and in men 25 in a biological sense. When we're kids, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I think it's very well said. I think it's very true of what happened to us. And even when we're adults, there are things that we can't control. So it's, it's the messiness of life and, knowing that we're in the world trying our best to control what we can control. And then sometimes shit goes south and we have nothing to do with it. It just happens. So, yeah, I think it's really true. Yeah. And the part of this that I think is so interesting too is, is kind of the receiving end of it. I think something else that we can struggle with sometimes, and you kind of touched on it where, um, regarding the, in the invisible sides of, you know, abuse, um, and things that you just can't see on the outside and even just mental health in general and, and the, the lack of belief when it comes to, you know, women and sexual assault and race, like all these things of like lack of belief. And I think mental health falls into that category of because we can't see it because it's not a broken ankle. 
And instead it's in our brains, like Simone Biles in the Olympics, you know, like people didn't see her get injured. And so they were like, well, that's not real because, you know, she's, I can't physically see it. Do you think that part of that is like a protection mechanism for people where they're like, I don't want to believe this. Like, this is too much for me to handle. Yeah, I really, really do. I think it's really good language. You know, it's cool. I think on the positive side, the Simone instance, I think it's one of the first times where a majority of people categorically supported an athlete's decision to pull out, which is really, really cool. And then, I mean, to be honest, like most of the people who were shitting on her were white men who had radio shows or had some sort of powerful like platform, I guess, or whatever. I think people have not engaged with their own hurt and their own pain and they've repressed it so deep. And then they project the self-protection onto other people. And I think we see that play out in a myriad of ways. I really, really do. You think about a parent and a child, you think about a kid who got hurt at school by a friend being mean to them or a friend who, or a kid who's hurt by not getting playing time in a sport or not getting the chair in, in the band that they were the orchestra that they went coming home. And, and then a parent saying, no, you just need to be strong and push your way through it. That parent had nobody to engage their story with them. And so they have armor on and then the armor forms into a weapon against somebody else. One of the biggest barriers that I see in mental health in America specifically is that we really, really love to intellectualize everything. We love to cognitively understand everything to the point where it becomes unbalanced and hurtful to other parts of us. We need to be able to engage our story in an honest way. Like you can't out, you can't outthink trauma. You can't over intellectualize shame. People who self analyze everything all the time are doing it to avoid shame. And then, like you said, they go on and project it to other people. I really, really believe that it's really true. And the, the more we just move towards cognitive knowledge of everything and the less we try to actually engage our affective side, the longer we're going to be hurting, the longer we're going to be inflicting pain and oppression on other people if we have privileged identities. And so, yeah, like I was really, really, as a man, I was really, really um, disrespectful and rude towards women until I started to engage with my story until I started to realize that I feel sadness and hurt and pain all the time because of X, Y, and Z from my story until I was able to start to actually feel that stuff. I wasn't able to change how I treated people. And so I think that like for us to actually engage in, in an effective way. And sometimes that means being really, really honest with ourselves and crying. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. that means admitting, I don't know, but yeah. So I think the self-protection, yeah, it's spot on. It's super true. Yeah. And, and that whole element of you would just have to be strong. Like, and I'd love, you know, your perspective of this as a male too, because um, there is so much truth too about how we are uh, what's the word or kind of how we're presented or 
how, you know, growing up in a specific body, um, in a specific appearance, you are expected to be a certain way. So, you know, especially probably when we were younger and I know things are changing nowadays, but you know, there was, when I was in elementary school, it's like, there are boys and there are girls and that is it, you know, like there was never conversation about somebody, maybe not being of one gender. Um, and that was just the, the truth behind it. And there's this treatment of, okay, when you're a girl, like you can cry and you can feel and like, you're supposed to be gentle and soft and kind. And, and like, you know, you don't necessarily stick up to the bullies because like you have to keep the peace and really, you know, keep to yourself. But then a guy is like, you know, the boys are all encouraged to be, you know, out, out there and, and expressive, but if they are to cry, that is wrong and that they need to be strong and they need to hold it together. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what your experience was like as a man, you know, growing up in sort of that expectation in that box. And then also just that, how that impacts us as we grow up, up and we're convinced that being strong is to not cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's damaging all across the board. It's damaging all across the board. You have socialization that is built on patriarchal structures where a lot of the time what I've seen anyways and I'm a man so I can't I'm not the expert on the subject as it regards to socialization of women a lot of the um, nurturing and express yourselves is crafted for women to do that primarily for men to Mm. be the ones to nurture and take care of the man and not even necessarily for themselves. And so you see a lot of women staying in relationships for far too long because they're maybe a people pleaser or because they've never been allowed to put yourself first because they've had to be so submissive for such a long time. And so even the ability to be emotional, even though there is a health to that in general, like the direction of it was socialized through a patriarchal structure. And I, I just think that sucks. Like, I mean, it creates so many double standards, right? Like, cause you hear the whole narrative of women standing up for themselves and they're a bitch, but a man does it in the same context and they're just very strong and assertive. Like that's wrong. So on the male front, strength is only viewed through a physical lens. How good are they at sports? How athletic are they? You see it early in middle school or in elementary school, which kids are the best at like field day, which kids are the best at recess. They're always the most popular ones. It comes from that patriarchal structure. It probably is probably some tracking to like the warrior like natures of the past, but it's dehabilitating in a sense. There's so many men to, to re- reference the garden reference of our uh, internal life who are just barren and repressed and it's so unhealthy and when anger is the only expressed emotion you're allowed man you mix that with the socialization of entitlement of men always being the dominant one and you get a lot of issues both internal and uh, passing it on to others in an external sense and so it's maybe one of the hardest things for me as a man is to to know like gosh, we can still maintain an oppressive cycle in our own lives and how we treat people around us because we're made into this patriarchy. But, and so you want to call out men and you want to hold accountable and, and we can get righteously angry at men who do really, really horrible things. Absolutely. And like, I feel, I feel for men because I know what it's like. 
and I know how tough it can be. Mm. And I, 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 I'm trying to change my language a little bit because I've realized like women don't have to be the ones to change men. They do not have to hold that. They do not have to have that sort of job. It's not their job to do. It's a male issue. And so for me as a man, I have to learn how to be more inviting and I can't just go around like saying, oh, this man's trash and I hate these men. Because who does that help? Mm-hmm. It makes me look really, really woke, sure. But am I actually being able to engage men and helping them change? Probably not. Are you looking for flowers for a big event? Are you planning a wedding? Do you have a big celebration coming up? Maybe you're just looking to get a bouquet for somebody. I have a deal for you. So the Flower Girls is my mother, Jen Boner, and she is a rock star florist, mostly local to the Minnesota area. So if you're not local to the Minnesota area, she can still inquire about weddings and big events. But if you're looking for more of just a single bouquet, we'll have to be local to the Minnesota area. But she is the best in the business. I'm a little biased, but she's the best in the business. And she's here to make your wedding planning or event planning a little less hard with some flowers, beautiful flowers. And so if you're looking to plan something or you're looking for a bouquet for somebody and you're looking for a florist, we got you. Go to www.theflowergirls.net. Information will be below and inquire about, I don't know if I said that word, but inquire about flowers with Jen. And when it asks how you heard about her, state that it was It's Hard Podcast that sent you on the drop down menu. You'll get 10% off your floral services. 10% is huge. If you know how much it costs to get flowers at a wedding, that's a big discount. So if you're planning a wedding or a big event, you just want a bouquet, go to www.flowerglove.net. That's really hard to say. And when you inquire, say that It's Hard Podcast sent you and you receive 10% off your services. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that in a way that's inviting for me. I'm not saying women have to go out there and do that. They, they have to live their own life. But for me as a man, I don't know. Anyways, that's a very long winded answer and a lot of uh, excess parts of the question, but no, it's so true. And it brings up this, uh, this thought in my head around like that internal shame that men experience and and all humans experience. Like I think part of this conversation that's important to address as well is the fact that we've been living in a really polarized society for a really long time, but especially Mm -hmm. in the last few years, we've been, you know, and, and with the Me Too movement and with, you know, all of the, you know, racial inequity and just everything that's been going on and just this, reckoning that's been happening in the past, you know, five to 10 years. Um, And with that, we have to remember that at our core, we are all humans and Mm -hmm. every person. And I've been thinking about this so much lately too, of, you know, like we, we go to the doctor's office and like things are going to go wrong or we go to, you know, specific places that we expect that everything is going to be perfect, but we have to remember that behind everything there's, there's a human and that humans are inherently imperfect beings. And so to give one another grace in these moments, of course, like you said, people do things that are very wrong. 
Um, and it, it touches on this, this cancel culture, which I've been wanting to challenge so much lately. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, but this idea that someone says one thing wrong and instead of calling them in and saying, Hey, how do we, you know, educate and support one another? It's like, they are immediately canceled. They are fired. They are cut off. Like we are not interested in encouraging them to in- participate in this life any longer practically. What are yeah. your thoughts? On that? Yeah. I think it's a really important conversation to have. I mean, cancel culture in general or in general is very prevalent right now. Um, and I think to the point that everybody's human and everybody has mistakes, mm-hmm. empathy is really important. So I get to, it gets us into a conversation about accountability and empathy. Mm-hmm. The cancel culture situation, I think right now is so big for two reasons. I think in, in one sense, people are so tired of powerful people never having to face consequences people who are either celebrities or in the rich ruling class of the world do not have to face accountability very often. If ever you look at police brutality in my hometown of Denver recently, police people just got a million dollars in back pay over 10 years. Uh, They brutally beat somebody near death and they got fired for it. And 10 years later, they get all their payback and more. And so situations like that, it's unjust. It's unjust. That's what it is. And so I think people in one instance are so tired of people not being held accountable. It's disgusting. And so I think there is a pendulum of like, man, I swear to God, it's not going to get tense. It's not going to fucking happen again. F this person, they're done. They're out. Mm-hmm. And so in one instance, you have that. At the same time, cancel culture exists. And it doesn't exist because these people still have jobs, most of them. Like Louis C.K., for example, was this comedian who assaulted women and had a really shit apology for it. And now he's booking gigs again. He's been booking gigs for the last couple of years. So it's like he didn't get canceled. He didn't get canceled. People got mad on Twitter and then he had to go away for a little bit. He's back. You look at somebody like Kanye West. How many times have people tried to cancel him? His album just dropped and everybody forgets that he said that mm, slavery was a choice that he brought out two female women abusers and assaulters at his last live event in Chicago. Like, and people still just like forget that to go stream his album. So people are mad that people don't get held accountable. And then at the same time, people aren't actually getting canceled in a certain regard. And when there is uproar against somebody who made a mistake and they're calling for their throats, people want to feel holier than, and people want to feel better than Mm. if I am seen in a light, where I am up against people who are doing bad things and then I'm better. Maybe I'm better than maybe they haven't dealt with their own shit and they, they have shame towards selves. And so it's easier to direct that outwards than inwards. And so I think there's a lot of nuance here. And I think it's important for us to be able to have the conversation with, with nuance. Um, you look, I mean, cancel culture is so easily seen in like, the entertainment world with these big celebrities and whatever. Mm-hmm. If a celebrity can't make their brand or build, uh, whether it's a comedian or whatever, if they can't be funny without always being offensive, they probably just suck at their job. Yeah. <laughs> at a certain regard. So I don't know. And I have so many thoughts on cancel culture. And I think there's so many different like little intricacies like going on and point of systems, oppression, accountability, and empathy. And I think, I guess my last point on empathy and accountability, like 
to have empathy doesn't mean that we don't hold somebody accountable for their actions. I think we can mistake empathy and sympathy way too much where sympathy is we're literally taking on the feeling of somebody else. But empathy is really, we can understand why they did what they did. We can understand what got them to a point to make that decision. And we can have some sense of compassion towards them. And we can be boundaried enough and differentiated enough to where we say, okay, I get that you did this thing, but that's not an excuse for your actions. You have to be held accountable for this thing. There's so many, I mean, you just look at the difference in brutal violent assaults, whether it's guns or it's sexual assault, uh, they're pretty much all from men. They're pretty much all from men. Mm. And at the same time, 91% of women have been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. I don't see women taking out their aggression in that way. So it's possible to be traumatized and not take it out on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that's why accountability is still important. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, I like how, <clears throat> excuse me. I like how there's many layers to cancel culture. Like we, we as humans, I think so often want to just like put everything under this one umbrella. Cause it's just like, we need to make it as easy for us to understand. I was reading this book and it was talking about how humans really struggle with just the complexity of the world and how like we see a tree and we just call it a tree, but truly there's so much more to a tree. Like it is mm-hmm. this like incredible, you know, thing that has branches Absolutely. and leaves Absolutely. and biologically it's a miracle right um but we as humans can only really understand it as one thing we're like yes but that's a tree and that's easy to understand and i think for us as humans and with our you know being as a whole it's like everything has to fall under this one category like cancel culture Mm -hmm. is x and it's like no but there's also things that are just wrong like police brutality is just wrong. And there's just nothing to be said about that um, other than that. And then there's these like nuances of like, okay, but is there an opportunity for people to learn through these, you know, different mistakes that they make um, and how do we kind of differentiate those things? And like you were saying with, you know, people's projections, it kind of brings us full circle to what we're talking about in the beginning people projecting things like it is almost this internalized shame, you know, really coming out and, and this misunderstanding and, and inability to understand what happened to you and having that empathy and seeing people as people. Um, and I really do think too, with like the empathy versus sympathy, I get those mixed up all the time and empathy equals holding others accountable while still seeing them as human. It's not just putting this barrier up and being like, you did one thing that pissed me off and now we're done. It's like, no, I see you and I hear you. I'd like to understand what happened to you to get you to this point, but still that, that wasn't right. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's really well said. I love the tree analogy too, (laughs) because how often do we miss the roots? Do we miss the leaves? Do we miss the branches? and how often do we do that with ourselves? How often do we only view ourselves in one simple narrative? And often it comes across in a negative way. Like, have you, because I know I have, have you had times in your life where you've just seen yourself in one light with no nuance, even, even maybe when you messed up and you just felt so much shame over it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, there's times where I'm like, 
you you get in this like season of maybe it's like loneliness or I'm in this like kind of post-college transition of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think lately it's been this, we go from being two minutes from all of our friends and being so surrounded by others all the time to starting to transition your life into being more independent and starting to figure out who are those closer friends and what does that look like? Um, And it can have that element of like loneliness and like, do I have enough friends? Am I doing enough? Am I, am I enough? And then sitting there viewing myself as you are not enough Mm. instead of everything else that I do and that I am. And so for you, like when you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're enough, like what's that internal experience like for you? It's just anxiety ridden. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, I think I imagine it as just like my brain is spinning all the time, right? Like there's just all these thoughts of like, what more can I be doing? And, and should I be doing this? And should I be doing that? And I'm making like these endless lists that like could never get done. <laughs> mm. so total, I struggle with anxiety. So it's totally anxiety ridden. Mm. So it's like, if I accomplish these things, if I meet these things, if I achieve, then I'll finally be able to prove that I am good enough. Right. Exactly. And I, th- and I think a lot of times it's hard for us to face the fear of the, what if I'm not? What if I can never prove it? Mm. And I think we have to be able to sit with that because we so frequently sprint towards doing to achieve things. We sprint towards fixing, problem solving our way so we never have to encounter the fear but to be able to say, I am terrified that I am not good enough. And if this thing in my life fails or this relationship goes under, where will that leave me? We don't want to actually sit with ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. And if we don't actually sit with ourselves in that, we're only ever going to believe and only ever going to have the singular narrative of ourselves we'll only ever see the trunk of the tree within ourselves because we can't actually get to a point where we sit with the core fear and if we don't sit with the core fear we can never start to be curious with man i wonder who i'm trying to prove this to i wonder whose voice I really wish I could just hear say to me, you are enough. I mean, even right now, like I feel emotion of my story within that same dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I even think of the voices in my head or the people throughout my life who I just desperately wanted to hear that from, but never got it. And it's scary. And so if we don't deal with that, we're not going to be able to have a nuanced view of self. And if we can't have a nuanced view with self, how can we ever have it with somebody else? Mm. That's so good. So good. My thoughts too are like, I feel as though as, as humans and, and everything, we want to have this, this fix and this, how do we fix this? How do we, 
get better? How do we, you know, change this thought process? Um, and what I'm hearing you say, and I'd love if you would expand on a little bit too, of to sit with this feeling or this fear, for example, like myself, you know, this fear of not being enough and who do I want to hear that from? And for yourself too, like, you know, there's people that you wish you would have heard those things from as a child or in your life, whatever it is. It's not necessarily discovering how do we get that and how do we receive that, that voice um, or, you know, do we need to just hear it from ourselves, whatever it is. It's just the uncomfort or the discomfort, excuse me, of sitting in that feeling and letting yourself feel that on that discomfort is that right mm-hmm. yeah yeah to a certain degree i think it's like we all have different parts of ourselves so i'm going to translate this in a specific theoretical orientation of therapy because it'll make more sense that way yes there is a type of therapy called internal family systems and it's shorthand is ifs and it basically deals with these internal parts of ourselves who all have these different roles And when we get triggered, maybe there's one singular part who's really acting up. Maybe there's one or two collaborating together. So there's parts that are trying to manage everything and trying to keep the house from burning down. There's parts that have been exiled. And what I've found is that these parts with the fear, with the discomfort that we never um, are allowed to meet with have been exiled and kicked out. And that's a big part of, of shame. And one of the reasons that happens is because growing up, we never, we were never allowed to be heard. We were never allowed to be felt or seen. And so I ask clients this question. I ask myself this question is like, are you feeling seen? When was the last time you feel seen? Not because you got a drippy fit on, not because you have this sweet thrift haul and you found some, but when have you feel seen? Mm. And so in a sense, yes, we have to sit with ourselves and sit with the discomfort. And over time, we have to allow somebody else to see that. Mm. That's why therapy is so powerful for people is because you are healing in the context of a safe relationship. If I only ever become good with myself and never allow anybody else to see me, I'm not actually going to be happy. Mm. And I'd actually argue it's impossible to become cool with ourselves without relationships from other people so it's it's a both and type of thing but yeah the discomfort of that that part of us that we don't like or that we've exiled or that has been just shit on for their whole lives from other people we got to get to know that part of us we've got to be able to validate it have conversation with it that's not the only lens with which to have the conversation but it's it's been a helpful one yeah for me. that's Oh, it's so helpful. And to just understand too, that, you know, connection is, is really important and a healthy connection, right? Like we are ultimately humans and we want to connect with one another. We want to feel seen, like you're saying. And I think of like feeling seen as like when someone says something that resonates so clearly, or even in therapy, when like my therapist tells me like, you're not, you know, crazy, like, don't think you're crazy or this is what that could mean from X experience when you were a child. Um, It's just that uh, the truth of, holy cow, like it makes sense. You know, I'm understanding where this is coming from, 
but also I'm not just sitting here, you know, one-sided with a journal and just like writing it all out and being like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm looking in the eyes of a person and saying like, you are enough and like, it's okay that you feel this way. Last week in therapy, I just cried the whole time. Like, and I don't really cry in therapy that often. Like my therapist is like, thank God you're finally showing up as yourself. (laughs) And I was like, yes. And I just sat there and I just couldn't stop crying. And she's just like, let me cry. And it's like, those are things that are inherently easy to do. Like to just sit there and let someone cry. But sometimes we struggle with it because if it's, you know, you sitting across from someone, it kind of goes back to that conversation of like, how do you, you know, hold space for someone else's mental health or like give, you know, someone that space to, to be who they are. It's not always about fixing it and making it better and making that person feel better and getting them over that hump. It's like, how do you just let someone just sit there and just feel and be themselves so that they can move through these emotions, but also so that they can feel seen? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think, well, well, first I want to say like, what a beautiful experience to have a therapy last week. Mm-hmm. Like, what a beautiful experience to be able to be so true and honest with yourself and let yourself cry and be seen by someone else, which is in and of itself, it's a courageous act to do, even if it's with somebody who we pay to do that with. It doesn't matter. It's still courageous. Yeah. So it's cool. You know, I, I think to a certain regard, it's hard for a lot of us to do that, to sit with somebody and just let them cry and just be supportive because we so desperately do want to fix a problem because we're uncomfortable with our own deep emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People who have not done the work of sitting with their deepest emotions are going to be handcuffed in their attempt to comfort somebody else when they're crying or when they're emotional. I um, coached girls soccer for four or five years and I wasn't like an amazing soccer coach by any means. When I was at my best self, I'm very good at sitting with people. I mean, I got trained to be a therapist. I know how to do that. And so the amount of girls that I've sat with as they just cried about something and didn't try to change them, that was impactful for them. I mean, I watch Love Island. It's one of my favorite reality shows. It's my favorite reality show. And you see these girls go off and they cry they're upset about something and how many times are there people just like, Oh babe, stop cry. Don't cry, babe. Stop cry. And I just want to scream. I'm like, just let them cry. <laughs> let them cry. They're in the moment. Let them cry. And you know, maybe there's a British cultural difference. Like I don't know everything about England, but we want to fix because we want that shit to go away because we don't know what to do with it in ourselves. And so it's like, it's repeating cycles of this person felt invalidated when they showed emotion in their youth. Kids can't hold that shit down. They eventually learn how to do it if they have to learn how to do it from difficult experiences or traumatic experiences or whatever. But a kid's gonna cry. Mm -hmm. A kid is going to run to their primary caregivers when they're hurt. And the question I asked people was like, when did that stop for you? And that's when we can identify when we stopped showing ourselves because a lot of people really want to justify and defend their parents. A lot of people want to say, well, I just wasn't open with them. I held stuff in. I'm the one who held that. Mm -mm. Why didn't you want to show your cards to the people who are supposed to love you and support you? When did you stop showing yourself? 
it's so tough. It's so tough. But finding people who can sit and hold space for us and not try to change us, I think that's one of the most beautiful things. Those people need to be kept around because they're few and far between. They really, really are. They really, really are. And so I, I love the, you know, if people are like, stop crying, stop crying, which we're told that when we're kids, right? All the time. Mm-hmm. And you're like, honey, stop. Like, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's like, why? Like, I mm-hmm. fucking cry. Like, let me cry. Um, but I was thinking as you're saying that of with that experience of like going to therapy, crying, and then, you know, it's almost like you're cracked open and then you're just so in that vulnerable state, which is a beautiful state to be in. Truly, it was so healing for me to go through that. But I cried the whole way home. And then I I was going home to my friend's house because my friends were in town and I pulled into the driveway and I was trying to like get myself together, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let me just like get myself together. And I just couldn't stop crying. Like it just wasn't it wasn't going to end. And then one of my friends like pulled into the driveway and I was like, oh, shit, I've been caught. Like, I thought this was like a bad thing. And then like both of my friends came out, you know, one came out of the car, the other out of the house and they just sat there and I just cried and cried and cried and they just sat there and they were like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on? Like therapy must have been good. You know, like they were just talking to me and and there was never someone said there. It was never said to me, stop crying don't cry. There's nothing yeah. to be mad about. It was yeah. like, you needed this, your body needed this. Like mm-hmm. clearly this is something that has been held and you needed to do this. Yeah. It's powerful. Right. We're a couple of good friends. Right. I'll keep them, I guess. Yeah. Keep them around. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I mean, it's just the power, the power of presence, right? Like, Hey, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm, wholly accepting you in this emotional state right now sitting with somebody and allowing them to cry is very normalizing it's very validating and those are the two key things that lead into acceptance of self is if i know that i'm normal and i know that i'm valid in my feelings man maybe i can accept myself so i think yeah it's such a valuable experience what's it like for you to like reflect on that scenario and realize that you have two friends who saw you in the deepest part of yourself and accepted you and loved you just the same. I think it, I mean, I just, I think I feel so grateful because like you were saying, like it's few and far between a lot of times. And I've experienced the other side of that, of being in relationships that were very, you know, I was told I was always told I was sensitive and, Mm. you know, like relationships that prioritize alcohol and things like that. I don't drink any longer. Um, and I just don't find it to be beneficial to my mental health and, and to be able to be in friendship with people who truly, you know, see me has helped me to realize, and it always validates like why I value like my three closest friends rather than having a high quantity of friends. I see value in spending, uh, copious amounts of time with those people um, and, and investing in that relationship and those relationships instead of trying to focus on how do I have so many friends and make sure I see everyone I've ever met in my whole life. Like those yeah. people are of, of high value to me because of that connection that we have. It's like sisterhood. You know, you feel this mm-hmm. sense of, and my therapist says that she's like, you have women around you who are like sisters to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what family is, is like you were saying, 
accepting one another as who you wholly are. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's amazing. It's amazing. Sisterhood. I know it well. I've experienced. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Are you enjoying this episode so far? If so, please take the time to rate and leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. You also can press the follow button on Spotify and ask for notifications every time a new episode comes out. This is the best way for us to grow and reach as many people as possible as we start to talk more vulnerably about mental health and things that are relatable to all of us. Also, you can take the time to share this episode with a friend via text message or on social media to also grow the awareness and make sure that people understand that they're not alone. Thank you so much for listening to It's Hard. Let's get back to the episode. I hear the too sensitive comment so much, whether it was something I experienced from other people or all the time. I mean, just viewing TikTok and viewing girls asking for advice on dating, like how many male partners have, have, have girls had that have just been like, you're just too sensitive. Mm. You're just too this, you're too much, you're too much, you're too much, you're too much. Our too muchness is never about us being too emotional. The only thing we ever need to worry about is how good am I at regulating my emotions? I don't have too many emotions. Maybe I need to work on regulating my emotions. That's really the difference in narrative that's helped me a lot is realizing that these emotions are so informative and they're really, really natural and they're really normal. And now what do I want to do with them? Because that's the part that gets people into trouble. Because there are people who, I mean, we know all these people who are way too cognitive or like robotic and how they view the world, low on empathy. And on the other end of the spectrum, we know people who are always going off in emotional outrage or an emotional outpouring they're not healthy either, but they're not too emotional. They just lack regulation skills. And I'm not saying that you weren't regulating yourselves. We need extended cry sessions and that's extremely healthy and part of regulating. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's like, man, people just are so afraid of emotion. They're so afraid of their effective nature because somewhere along the way, somebody told them that that part of them was trash and was not welcome. It was not okay. Or that it makes others uncomfortable and it's a burden for others to carry that right yeah it does yeah people just want to project that i i think i'm more comfortable in conversations when people are really really emotional than when they're not anymore like i don't i've 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 talked to other coaches who are typically male who are like i don't know how to i don't know what to do when my girls start to cry and i'm like bro that's the easiest part of my job i don't i don't I don't know how to get them to make this passing pattern and score a goal like I want. Like, I wish I could be better at that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. With regulating emotions, I think people, you know, maybe hear that and don't fully understand what that means or or maybe think like, oh, okay, great. Regulating means pushing my feelings down, right? Like you said, yeah, you know, crying yeah. is still part of regulating. Right, right. What does that mean? Like, what, how yeah. can you find that? Absolutely. So emotion regulation is the process of being able to healthily express our emotions, um, accept ourselves in the midst of it, and be able to uh, synthesize our emotions as they happen to where we can still make the decisions that we want to make. So healthy emotion regulation, we have to be able to accept ourselves, we actually have to be able to feel, and that we actually have to be able to make behavioral decisions so we're still using the thinking part of our brain and we're employing the emotion part of our brain as well. So people get into trouble 
because when we get very, very emotional, the center of emotion in our brain is not here. This is where we make our decisions. The center of our emotional brain for the most part is our limbic brain. It's um, back here. And when people talk about trauma responses, it's the fight, flight, freeze kind of response um, to it all. And so being able to still be able to make decisions when we're emotional is a big part of emotion regulation. So I always say like the process for me is, um, is being able to notice the body, notice what's going on in our body, where we're feeling the sensations, being able to name the emotion that we have, being able to feel it, being able to accept it, being able to externalize it if we need to, understanding where and why it comes from, like being curious about it, and then being able to identify and exact our needs. And the needs portion is the behavioral decision. What do I need right now? Well, I think I just need to take a walk. I think I need to talk to a friend. I think I need to reach out to my therapist. I I think I just need to not think about this for a couple minutes. Um, Whatever it may be for different people at different times, being able to make that decision is very, very key. So in a very simple sense, motion regulation is the process uh, of experiencing our emotions, um, allowing them to come and employing our thinking brain at the same time. So we're being proactive and not reactive. Um, That's my definition. I suppose that I'm sure there are better ones out on the market, much more tweetable explanations (laughs) of it. (laughs) Oh, it's so helpful. Like asking for what you need. That's really what stuck out to me. I was having that conversation um, a couple of days ago recording as well. Like the importance of asking for what you need, which I, you know, struggle with that as well. Like there are days where it's like, I need something and I need to be able to figure out what that is and then go from there. I was actually thinking about your story yesterday. Um, you had like so much energy you were saying, and you're like, I don't even know what I want to do, but I just, I know that I need to do something. And it's like, you didn't know really what you needed, but you're like, I need to do something. Cause I have all this energy that I don't know how to dispense of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was hyped up. I was hyper as hell. I didn't even have no caffeine either. It just came on me. It's like a spider monkey. I swear. I just walked. I literally, I literally just, I was like, I was like, I'm just going to go walk. And I didn't have like a goal. I went to Tim Hortons. It was close. And I just walked around the city that I'm in right now. Yeah. It's funny. I think identifying our needs is so tough. Sometimes it can be so difficult, especially if we never thought we had needs or we never thought they would be met by somebody else or that they were like allowed to come out of the fold. I mean, that goes back to attunement. Like if our caregivers early on aren't attuned to us, they'll just keep rejecting our desires for connection. And oh. it's brutal. And it's brutal. brutal. I think that's a big, I think, and I, I would love to hear you speak to this. I think in an emotional sense, a lot of men's needs were never seen or allowed or welcomed to the fold. Um, and in like a structural system sense, men's needs, quote unquote, have been the most important thing of anybody in society. I mean, men feel entitled to a lot of things. So whether our emotional needs were were met, that's one thing. And at the same time, there is a view of entitlement that men hold. I'm entitled to this job. I'm entitled to this space to speak. I'm entitled to this woman. And whenever guys get uh, upset because they got rejected and they freak out because they felt entitled. I want this. I should be able to get it. And that goes back to the patriarchy and to toxic, toxic versions of masculinity for you as, um, as a woman who's been oppressed by patriarchy, 
what's it like like within the context of of your needs in just kind of like a holistic way because societally based it's not really that valued it's becoming more valued now which is great but i don't know i'm just wondering like what that's like that's a really good question and as you were talking about like men's emotional needs being met but then when it comes to the patriarchy and like all of that it's kind of the the top priority. I almost wonder if it's sort of a reactive thing of like, you know, with, and this is, I'll, I'll answer your question, but first I'm thinking like, because they were there, men have never, you know, really been emotionally met by their needs. It's almost like an overcompensation of their emotional needs. And they're like, well, I was never given what I physically actually needed, which was emotional things. And so instead I'm going to go out and, and get it myself by, you know, forms of abuse and oppression and things like that. Like, it's almost this, like, uh, what's the word, like primal need to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. What do you think about that quickly before? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, men out here throwing tantrums, like and right there, like they're a seven-year-old at Walmart who doesn't get the Oreos that time. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it from that dynamic, like there's a lot of childish men who exist and childish, literal, maybe not even childish. I might be mean to children, but they're immature. When children throw tantrums, they want connection, period. They want to be heard, period. When men throw tantrums and they have systems to yield to weaponize in an oppression sense that will hurt other people in a really, really big way. So yeah, I think that there is truth to that. I think that there is truth to that for sure. And to answer your question too, I think it's such a, it's so multifaceted and, and there's just so many things to, you know, emotional needs. Cause even like yourself, you know, it's hard to generalize men, right? Like you are not going out and acting like those childish men and, and seeking your, like you're, you know, regulating in a healthy way and mm-hmm. things you've done the work, right. And you will continue to do the work because it never truly ends. Um, and when it comes to my perspective as a woman, um, I have so many thoughts on it because, you know, there's a part of me that, you know, growing up, I was in a family of, you know, my sister is older and, and just, you know, was typically quote unquote in the spotlight center of attention, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. Right. So I'm very used to being a little bit more in the backseat, um, a little Mm -hmm. quieter, um, which is maybe shocking because I'm a podcast, but maybe that's some part of it too. (laughs) Um, but no, she, you know, that dynamic really ended up making me feel like I couldn't fully express my emotions or my needs and actually discovered a lot of this this week in therapy. And then with my friends, Mm. my birthday is next this coming weekend. And, and (gasps) what day? September 5th. Mine's the third. Oh my gosh. Virgo Virgo twins. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wait, that's amazing. Happy birthday. You too. (laughs) But with that, you know, like I never, my friends are like, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I would love You're so excited. I want to hear what your thoughts are, but it's this idea of like, I don't feel 
worthy of being celebrated in a large way, nor do I really want to be. I mean, I had a going away party yesterday and I'm like, that's a lot for me. Like it's, it's overwhelming. I like smaller, intimate settings with people that I I really love and care about. Right. Um, but there's this, this uh, feeling or sense of like unworthiness of being the center of attention. And in that it, it gets very deep to the sense of, I always told a lot of times that I had to, and I, I still am to this day, that I have to be the strong one. My sister, mm-hmm. her son is in the hospital in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, he's waiting for a heart transplant right now. And I have been physically told by my parents before, you need to be the strong one. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that result, I suppress a lot of my feelings and a lot of my emotions, and I don't feel worthy of being the one who is the center focus. And so in that, I tend to internalize a lot of feelings. On the contrary, when it comes to society and women and what's expected of us, I also find myself to be a very strong woman and someone who likes to challenge you know, societal norms. And my boyfriend and I are talking about this right now of like, I don't want to be really proposed to like, I want to have a mutual agreement that we will get married. I want to like not wear. I love mutual agreement. It's like a couple of scrolls. We have a mutual agreement of a, that's so funny. (laughs) We have a domestic partnership. But yeah, like that was what we were talking about yesterday where I was like, I don't want to wear a big diamond ring on my finger and like you to not wear a ring. Like there's all these things of like, I want to be my own independent woman and I want to challenge the patriarchy in a lot of ways. And as a woman with society, that is not always accepted. And that's fucking frustrating that I can't break ceilings and go and do things and be emotional and be my fully true self and be a strong, independent, you know, feelings, human being. It's just this like confusing, fucked up thing. Super fucked up. I mean, I think what you shared, thank you for that, by the way. I appreciate that. It shows the compounding effect of layered um, dysfunction within systems. If we go top down in the biggest sense, patriarchy affects us all. Yes. And it uniquely affects women in an oppressive way. And so you're not allowed by society to be that emotional version that you want to be or to be the badass fucking kick the door down person you want to be on any given day as well. So it's like catch 22 gets you left, gets you right. And then in a system sense of a smaller system, family of origin. Mm you have to be the strong one. In other words, your emotions in this situation are not important like this other member of the families. And so in that instance, I can only imagine the pain that that's caused. And I'm sure that that's not the only time something like that has happened either in verbiage or in mm, unspoken. Mm. We almost get forced into these roles. We have to be something in our family. We have to be a certain way and our true selves aren't allowed to be lifted and seen and, and valued and compounding effects sucks. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly. What are your thoughts on the, on the celebration of self and birthday situation? I mean, you're speaking to the choir on that one. I mean, I totally get the narrative of like, I don't feel worthy of being celebrated in this instance. Like who am I to take up attention? I mean, it wasn't for me personally, like 
I, I relate to that so much. I relate to that so much. And in a personal sense, it's like, in one sense, like I can be maybe too domineering sometimes, or I can maybe like in my past, I've like centered myself too much and all of this, that and the other. And, but deep down that part of me is like, bro, no, you can't, you can't celebrate. You can't be celebrated. First of all, who would even want to celebrate me? Because for me, it's a lot of times the who. It's like, who around me even wants to celebrate you, bro? Like, ain't nobody want to celebrate you. And then you get down to the dumps. And I mean, I've had some tough birthdays, some difficult birthdays, like nothing traumatic, but definitely things that were wounding that were never repaired. So like I have a, back to the needs thing a little bit, like my 18th birthday, my parents threw like the surprise birthday at this park with all these kids from high school and stuff. And when I first got there, I saw and a gazebo a little bit over that my old soccer coach was in. I immediately went to the gazebo to talk to him for 30 minutes instead of being at my own surprise birthday party. Mm. Like I left it because I felt so uncomfortable. And so over the time I've realized that there was a part where I didn't feel worthy of being celebrated. And there was a part where it's like, I didn't want that. So it's like my parents, again, you guys didn't know what I needed. You weren't attuned to me because I don't, I don't, I don't even care about half of these people. They don't know me. They know the fake version of me. They don't know me. They don't care about me. They've never shown. I mean, now there are a couple who did, but there's all these people like, oh, these people don't care about me. Yeah. And that's so good. Like, it, it, did you feel, or it, what I hear you say is like, your parents are kind of just doing what they think they should do, right? Like there's these expectations of like, it's someone's birthday, like you throw them a party, you, you have a surprise, you do these things. And it's like, okay, but are we talking about what someone genuinely would want and yeah. what they need? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I even, I've never actually talked to this, uh, talked to my parents about this before. I, I wonder if they knew that they had missed some of my birthdays in the past and they were trying to like do something nice for me. And at the same time, so there's like goodness in that for sure. And like a nuanced approach It's like they tried and they didn't know me enough to know what would have been really, really impactful for me. And that hurts. I remember a birthday where I was maybe 13 and no one said anything to me all day. And then like four o'clock comes around, five o'clock comes around. My mom picks up my brother from basketball practice and I'm crying at home by myself. And then I get there and I yell at her and run into my bathroom. And I probably yell like, you guys don't care about me. And then it was just, we never talked about it. I calmed down and then they fucking got me a card and the cake and we never talked about it. Remember when I was nine years old, there was a birthday party with some friends and some neighbor kids. We just moved and we had a, um, a water balloon fight and the kids ganged up on me and threw water balloons. And now from a normal stand, that's what you do on a birthday. You go after the birthday kid. That's what you do. It's so normal. It's so normal. But I felt I already had a problem with feeling like I was on the outside of all these friends. At nine, I'd cry. I cried in front of all those kids, felt so embarrassed, so, felt so much shame, never talked about. And so like these unchecked like wounds of birthday mixed with, I don't feel worthy already. It just catapults you into like, I hate my birthday. I always feel terrible on my birthday. So like I get the birthday, like, I don't know if it's birthday fatigue or, or birthday, just like, eh, I get that. I feel that on like a spiritual level. <laughs> Or like unrealistic expectation, you know, mm -hmm. like 
I have friends who are so easy to just like plan their own birthdays and celebrate themselves. And it's a beautiful thing. Right. And for me, it's like, and, and it's so interesting to hear your perspective of it because I think everyone is so different. Like, I don't think my parents have ever missed a birthday. Like it's, it's on the family calendar, maybe five times. Like it is there. And it, yeah, and my it mom remembers exactly giving birth to me, like all those things, right? Like mm-hmm. she will tell me the story of how I was conceived on every single birthday. And that's just, <laughs> how we, how we are. um, and so that stuff, like I'm not missing that part. However, certain circumstances within my family dynamic have led me to believe at such a you know complex level that I do not deserve to celebrate myself. So it yeah. could even be completely unrelated to birthdays in general, but just the element of self-celebration, which is why too mm-hmm. the part yesterday was so hard for me in a way to like comprehend because I was like, yeah. all these people are coming here for me. And they're just yeah. all gonna sit around and talk to each other, even though I can't talk to all of them at the same time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I totally know what you mean. I mean, I, I think one of the phrasing things that's really helpful for me, like, because you know that phrasing, like, I'm enough or I'm deserving of this. And this is just me personally. This isn't me projecting on anybody else, but those phrases can be really, really difficult for me because I'm like, what if I'm not enough for certain people, like, in their story? Like, I don't know, there's a little bit of subjectiveness to deserving into enough for me. I try to like center it on, like, am I worthy of this? Mm. am I worthy of this? Because if I, I, if I can take a step back and realize like, no, I am a worthy person. Like I am valuable. I'm not the most important person in the whole world in terms of like, I need to be self-centered and I need to be arrogant, but I, I have worth, I have value. Am I worthy of being celebrated? The answer is yes. Mm. Now it's difficult to get there in practice. If I believe that, then what does that mean for my birthday? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, yeah we are worthy and so yeah it's a fight it's a struggle and I can't even feel that like if I had a surprise or not even a surprise but if I had a going away party or something and all these people came together and planned it I wouldn't know what to do I'd freak out I'd be like where's my soccer coach at an adjacent pavilion let me go talk to him for a sec (laughs) seriously it's like all of a sudden it's like where's Paige I don't know she's across the street somewhere talking to some kid (laughs) like does she know him no I think I think they just met (laughs) that was totally me though like my mom had gotten this like balloon arch it's still sitting in the backyard um and all I wanted was just these balloons that just say bye like that's all I wanted and like the letter balloons and then she got this balloon arch and it was beautiful and I was like we don't need to put the balloon arch up I'm like it's so much like it feels like a freaking grad party like we don't need that we don't need food like I'm just like Let's do it on a Sunday night. So people are like, okay, I'm here, but now I have to go because I have to work tomorrow. Like get an out time. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but, and I'm so grateful for it. Like I'm, I'm acting like I'm not grateful. It was great. But my friends are like, no, we're putting the, the arch up. I come downstairs. It's like all across our, you know, like living room. Like, and it's like those things where, you know, people around you want you to feel like, you know, celebrated and it's easier to comprehend when others are doing it for you. Cause you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, they're doing this voluntarily. Like if they didn't want to do this, they wouldn't do this. Right. But it is just so interesting. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and it's so crazy how we both have that same feeling, but for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. But what are you doing for your birthday this year? Then you can do anything. Girl, I don't even, I don't even know. 
right? It's, it's, <laughs> I, I said to myself, I said this, I said to myself this last time, like for the last three years, I'm like, next year, Reed, you've got to be different. You've got to change the narrative. You've got to do something for you. And then the day comes and I feel sad. I'm like, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually might have to go help out uh, my brother and sister-in-law. They may need some help with some stuff. And so I might have to fly to Philly and go help them out. Um, but I think on the day, I really want to, I think I might want to write myself a letter. Just like a, I'm a proud of you letter. And just appreciate myself within myself, I think would be really, really nice. Um, so I think at a minimum, I'm going to want to do that. Take some time to do that because I need to do something different that I've never done before. So I changed, maybe in just a small way, change the narrative. Maybe next year, I let one person say happy birthday. And then maybe the next year I have a party. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's, it's just those baby steps of, and also I've realized cause now I'm turning 24 and I feel like every other birthday, it was like, you're in college or you're turning 21 or you're turning 16 or you're, you know, it's like mm-hmm. all big deals, mm-hmm. you know? And now I feel like 24, it's just like, what do I truly at my core want to do? Like mm-hmm. rather than, Oh, well, everyone for their birthdays goes out and they get drunk. Right. Well, that's right. not an option for me anymore. Anyways, right. but it's like, what do I want to do? And that's what I said to my friends. I was like, maybe I just want to like read a book. <laughs> They're mm. like, what the heck? I'm like, well, I mean, hey, you never know. But it is truly like channeling to like what what would bring you the most joy and like what mm-hmm. do you genuinely enjoy? And that's what I'm like realizing with birthdays now moving forward is like, I don't need to have this big party at all. I don't mm-hmm. want that. Next year, you know, maybe I want to go ride horses in the mountains on my birthday because that would make Beautiful. me happy, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love that narrative, though, like switching the narrative and also just doing something for you because that's what yeah. it's another year of life. That's truly the 100%. I mean, we get so caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. We yeah. want to show off, like, we have these huge birthday extravaganzas. We want people to see it on IG or TikTok or whatever, like, see that I'm having fun or see that my birthday is here. We just, and again, it's just us longing to be validated. It's just longing to be seen. But when we believe those things already, it absolutely frees us up to lean into how will I feel loved, cared for, cherished? How will I experience goodness on this day? Because this is the day that I, I, I'm going to celebrate another year of life and, and ups and downs of it all. Um, horsebacking in the mountains sounds so tight. Right. Oh, my gosh. Sounds like a date on The Bachelor. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yes. I grew up riding horses too. So I'd kick some bachelor ass if I was able to ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's race. <laughs> it was like me and my boyfriend a couple um, weeks ago. We were riding horses at the camp I used to work at. And I'm just like running, running. He's like trying to keep up. He's like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> it's, like dumb. it's like game over. He's like, babe, I get it. I get it, babe. You win. Okay. Can you trot? Can you do a trot? All right. I'm not sure. <laughs> Can we just walk for a little bit? Come on, man. <laughs> uh, well, I have one more question for you. This is so good. Mm-hmm. I literally talked to you for like three hours. So it makes sense that we're only two days apart um, with our birthday. <laughs> Practically twins. Um, but uh, my last question for you, Reed, is how do you on a day-to-day basis just keep up with your mental health and take care of your mm-hmm. mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think... For me, on a day-to-day basis, a lot of it for me day-to-day comes in like 
how I'm speaking to myself. Because mm. for a really long time, the shame cycles like basically dictated my life. And I would say some really nasty things about myself over and over again. And so I think for me, being able to like validate my feelings, being able to like do take a second and feel what this feels like, it's okay, accept that this is here. I think is really, really big. And I think like attuning to myself and the day-to-day needs, like, like for example, two days ago, I was about to have a panic attack and I literally, I was supposed to wait for my, my roommate and his wife, people I'm staying with right now to go to the mountains. And I went to them, I was like, dude, I need to leave literally right now or um, I'm gonna have a panic attack. And so they weren't able to leave. So they just met me there later, but me like valuing myself and telling somebody about like, dude, I need to do this right now is like those small ways of like feeding into needs is big. And then I think for me, like it's really important for me to have conversations with other people who like get it and who care because that community piece is huge. I, I spent such a long time like leading into my unhealthy individualistic side. And I think a lot of mental health like is still skewed to individualistic and not enough collectivist um, community approaches. Like self-care, like how much of self-care matters. It does, and what about community care? about us with other people um so i think that's really important for me as well on a day-to-day basis and maybe it doesn't happen every single day maybe it's more week to week in certain regards but i think having the orientation anyways is important for me yeah Um, yeah i'm trying to be what i'm what i'm trying to be lately is more holistic in my approach so taking care of my body exercise eating well um doing some targeted somatic work. So maybe I'm gonna target the, the, the vagus nerve, do some release around that. Um, so I'm trying to be a little bit more holistic lately for myself. Yeah, that's so good. And I feel like it's such an understated you know, process too. Like what we eat, how we move our bodies, paying attention to you know somatic therapy and all these things and just the the taking care of yourself is yeah yeah absolutely and taking my meds i have adhd so i'm on adderall and that like stabilizes me so much so gotta make sure i'm taking my meds yeah anxiety meds just keeps us a little more level (laughs) i just need that it's nice it's nice well reed thank you so much for your time and for being here and just being so open and vulnerable it's it's truly so amazing to follow you and and see your journey and i can't wait to continue to you know be a part of that and and watch that unfold um i love what you're doing i think it's so great and you're so intelligent and well spoken and just yourself and that's that's such a cool thing that that i love so thank you for being on the show and being a part of this this was amazing Thank you so much. It's always so good to chat with another Virgo who gets it. It's we love it. So it's a pleasure. It's Virgo. Seriously, thank you. It's- Yo, let's go. Scary hours. We're out here. <laughs> it's like everyone's in like Leo season. They're all excited. I'm like, y'all better wait. Like you don't even know. Like you don't even know. Like what's even a Leo? Like, do you even know yourself? Like, no. <laughs> I love it. Well, seriously thank you so much i hope you have a great rest of your day and great time traveling across the country like so cool i can't wait to see where you go next if you're ever in utah let me know because that's where i'm moving in a couple weeks so oh congratulations what city salt lake okay bet 100 yeah. i'll keep that in mind okay let me know if you're there uh... <laughs> 
Amazing. All right, my friend. Be well. Thank you again. Yes. Happy birthday. You too. <laughs> Celebrate yourself. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much, Reed. It was such a pleasure to have you. I'm so like, grateful that we were in each other's lives. Now we can follow along with each other as well. So again, go follow Reed on Instagram. Go follow It's Hard Podcast on Instagram. And also rate, review, subscribe this podcast as well. So thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next week.